Will Falcons, linebackers, Troy Anderson, and Caden Ellis each reach their high ceilings in 2023, or will it be another year of disappointing Falcons linebacker play? You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black. And, of course, the very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And we thank each and every one of you that makes this illustrious podcast your first listen. Shout out to the everydayers who subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you should do the same so that you can get the latest episode as soon as it is available. We are continuing our series looking at each position group for the Atlanta Falcons, turning our attention to the Falcons off-ball linebackers on today's episode. And I know I've heard people express concerns about the sort of unproven nature of the Falcons, you know, linebacker core heading into the season. And I get that to a certain extent, but my spicy take of the day is, you know, the Falcons really haven't had good linebacker play for like two decades you know you'd have to go back to like the early 2000s when both Keith Brooking and Chris Draft were here or to the 90s when it was Tuggle and uh you know Cornelius Bennett before you had to go back to find two good linebackers in the Falcons like they've had good linebackers on the team but it's rarely been more than one like you know you go from Michael Bowley to Spoon to Deion Jones to Foye Lucan but like very few of those years those good years overlapped with various players and you had a, a lot of middling linebacker play. So for me, when I look at this group and sort of its unproven nature, I, I sit here and I go, what else is new? Like, this is the same old, same old. Like, this is not any different to me than what the Falcons linebacker core has mostly been for the last 15 years, except for, I guess, in previous years, you at least had one guy, you know, for the most part, most years that you felt really good about. And, you know, we'll talk about, you know, which of the guys you feel really good about, you know, for me, that's probably Caden Ellis, but uh, I'm sure others let's, you know, may, may differ on that, but, you know, let's talk a little bit about Troy Anderson, who I think has a lot of intriguing potential. And I'm very eager to see what Troy Anderson's development looks like uh, over the course of this season, because I do think when we talk about the floor and the ceiling for a player's potential this upcoming season, you could argue that Troy Anderson's floor, Uh, and ceiling have maybe the widest disparity between those two points and how good he could potentially be as well as how bad he could potentially be in his first full year as a starter. And, you know, that stems from the fact that the Falcons took a pretty big swing on Troy Anderson in round two, betting on his traits and his upside, taking him over several uh, pro more pro ready linebackers and, and maybe the Falcons pay for that. But, you know, Anderson was a raw prospect coming out of Montana state I uh, played quarterback running back prior to making the permit switch to linebacker in 2020. And when I watched the film of his from Montana state, you know, I had major question marks about his physicality, his instincts, his technique, right. And the biggest one being that physicality, that toughness, right. Because I think instincts and technique can be developed, right. I don't think physicality really can, at least not at the NFL level. Right. Um, you know, you either got it at this point in time when you're 22, 23, whatever, or you don't. Right. And now I think with Troy Anderson, the the pleasant thing from his rookie season, it was an up and down year, but 
to me, the physicality, the toughness was the non-issue. He checked that box. So that's good. And now it's going to be the questions about his instincts and his technique moving forward. The instincts mostly referring to his ability to make reads and recognize things, right? His technique mostly about, you know, taking on leveraging blocks so that, you know, uh, being able to shed those, those blockers and whatnot. And I think that's going to be a big point of emphasis for this coaching staff, because we already know under new defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen, we're going to play with lighter boxes. That means, you know, six man boxes. And when you're trying to stop the run with six guys, you know, it's, it's really important that those guys are, you know, disciplined and sound with their run fits. Right. And it kind of goes back to a conversation we had earlier this week with Eddie about Eddie Goldman and, and sort of his value to this football team. And I think Eddie Goldman and, and Troy Anderson's success may potentially go hand in hand, right? Because having a big space eating nose tackle like Eddie Goldman could be very valuable to taking pressure off of Troy Anderson. That means he can take on less of those blocks. That means he can afford to be maybe a half step late recognizing and reading things out uh, because he's kept clean by a player like Eddie Goldman. So I, I think those two guys kind of go hand in hand. If, if both of those guys, you know, if one has success and the other one should have success in a lot of ways, especially Eddie Goldman uh, compared to, to Troy Anderson. But I think overall my expectations for Troy Anderson this year, there's going to be ups and downs and it wouldn't shock me at all. If there's more downs than ups this upcoming season. And we talk about this every year when we're breaking down each Falcons draft class and we're talking about the floor and the ceiling of each prospect and talk about how the floor is going to often more be uh, determine what a player is early in their career. And you really won't need to worry about the ceiling for a player for most players until, you know, the third, fourth, fifth year is when they have the potential to reach that point. And so clearly we're more concerned about the floor for Troy Anderson you know, this year heading into this season. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm mostly fine with Troy Anderson if he is inconsistent because that l relatively low floor, right? You know, despite the fact that myself and I'm sure most of you listening have playoff aspirations for this football team, the Falcons are still technically in a rebuild. It's, you know, they're entering phase two of a three-phase process and growing pains to me are part of phase two. Uh, and that includes Troy Anderson. And hopefully, hopefully, you know, we'll get to years in and we'll see that progress and that growth from Troy Anderson to the point that when we're doing Q&As and mailbags late in the season, you guys are asking me like, hey, Troy Anderson's put together a couple of good games. Are we now in phase three when it comes to Troy Anderson? So hopefully we'll get to that point, but we'll we'll just sort of have to see. But again, there's a fairly wide disparity between Troy Anderson's floor and his ceiling. You know, linebackers, a position I think tends to get undervalued, myself included, right? You know, I think a lot of people look at linebackers kind of the running back of defense where, you know, kind of an average player is kind of a dime a dozen type of player. And, you know, you can make the argument that an average linebacker is less valuable than an average player at pretty much any other position on defense. However, I do think when you have a really good linebacker or a really bad linebacker, it's you're going to be able to tell. It's going to have a major impact on your defense, right? And that's going to be the question with Troy Anderson. Is he going to be a, you know, a subpar, a subpar linebacker, or is he going to be a very good linebacker? And I think, you know, with time, with development, I think he has the potential to be a very good linebacker, but I, I certainly think if he does struggle this year, you know, it will be very noticeable to a lot of folks, uh, you know, watching the games each and every Sunday. So we'll see how that all plays out for Troy Anderson. We'll continue the conversation talking about Caden Ellis, his potential, especially when it comes to rushing the quarterback as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. 
Guys, I want to tell you about our partners at eBay Motors who have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week, all season long. Whether you're prepping for the draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you players that are guaranteed to fit your roster. So with draft prep underway for the upcoming season, let's see who Vinny has picked out for us in this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. When making the first overall selection in your upcoming fantasy drafts, 49ers running back Christian McCaffrey is a guaranteed fit. A healthy McCaffrey is guaranteed to see well more than 300 touches again in his first full season in San Francisco as the centerpiece of the 49ers offensive engine. McCaffrey checks all the boxes, including his talent, his usage, his floor, and his ceiling. Run with CMC as a guaranteed fit at number one for a smooth ride to another year of big numbers. And Vinny Iyer of Locked On Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship. And eBay Motors knows a championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. Same with your vehicle. With eBay Guarantee Fit and over 122 million parts and accessories for your vehicle right at your fingertips, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Air filters, brakes, batteries, taillights, alternator shock struts, you name it, eBay Motors has it. And they'll make sure it's the right fit for your car because eBay Guaranteed Fit helps you understand exactly what part you need for your vehicle the first time. So go forth, switch gears, crank the AC, and say goodbye to sweating if your ride needs a little fixing up because now you'll always be set up for success from the get-go with eBay Guaranteed Fit. Everything your vehicle is calling for is just a click away. For the parts and accessories that fit your vehicle, just look for the green check, get the right parts, the right fit, the right prices at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride eBay guaranteed fit only available to us customers, eligible items, only exclusion supply. So continuing today's conversation, talking about Caden Ellis, the other linebacker next to Troy Anderson, you know, Ellis is interesting because I think expectations for him are kind of all over the place because I think a lot of that stems from the fact that a lot of people had never even heard of Caden Ellis when the Falcons first signed him, which was kind of evident because for like the next several weeks and months, Still, people were kind of considering him to be an edge rusher than a true off-ball linebacker. But, you know, every dayers here on Lockdown Falcons knew about Caden Ellis weeks ahead of when the Falcons signed him. We talked about him extensively on sort of my defensive free agent wish list episode about two weeks before the Falcons wind up signing him. So shout out to the every dayers that, you know, oh, I know about Caden Ellis because Aaron's, you know, spent seven minutes talking about him on the podcast. But, you know, for those of you that miss that episode two weeks prior to the Falcons signing him, the cliff slash spark notes or whatever they're called now on Caden Ellis is that he was a former college defensive end that converted to an off-ball linebacker uh, when he was drafted by the Saints a couple of years ago, spent three years as a backup uh, and special teams player for the Saints, backing up all three spots in New Orleans at Sam, Mike, and Will linebacker. Uh, and the past year, this in 2022, due to an injury to their starting Will linebacker and Pete Warner, you know, Caden Ellis got some early action as an injury replacement, played well. And then when Warner was healthy in the second half of the season, the Saints still wanted to carve out a regular role for Caden Ellis in their lineup, primarily as a pass rusher because of his value there. And he was very impactful as a pass rusher in the second half of the season, sort of usurping Demario Davis as the team's main pass rushing linebacker on those simulated pressures the Saints love to run. And that's notable because Demario Davis is arguably one of the two or three best pass rushing off-ball linebackers in the NFL. And the fact that the Saints thought so highly of Kane Ellis that he's even better than that speaks to Kane Ellis's ability uh, and that background as a collegiate pass rusher. And he was very productive in that role, often in, you know, getting production in the form of stunts 
right? Got six sacks in those final nine games of 2022. And expectations for Caden Ellis here in Atlanta, is he going to play basically the exact same role that he had last year in New Orleans? He's going to be the starting will linebacker for the Falcons this year, that weak side inside linebacker. And he's going to be one of their primary pass rushers on the simulated pressures that you're going to see the Falcons run a ton of, often in the form of stunts. And I think Caden Ellis has a lot of potential to be productive in that role. In fact, he has 10 sack potential. Uh, in that role. Uh, we talked about that earlier this offseason on the podcast, and that stems from just looking at his production in those final nine games. If a guy can get six sacks playing 80% of the snaps in nine games, how many sacks can he get playing 100% of the sacks, uh, snaps in, in 17 games? And then when you basically do the math on that, you basically figure, if okay, if Caden Ellis was able to get seven sacks and 20 pressures in 2022 on that workload, you know, in 2023, at least theoretically, if he maintains that same pace, he could get 14 sacks and 40 pressures, basically doubling his production. And so that's why when we did that earlier episode talking about Kate Nellis, you know, I would make a pretty compelling argument that if I was to bet on anybody hitting double digit sacks here in Atlanta, and again, I know that's an impossible task, uh, you know, Atlanta Falcons double digit sack pass rusher impossible but if i was betting money on anybody you know i would probably throw the most money on Caden ellis now that doesn't necessarily mean that Caden ellis is the falcons best pass rusher because we've been talking all week long about the team's you know alpha uh and sort of who's that guy that's going to get you that pressure or that sack in the fourth quarter when you need it similar to using a basketball analogy who's going to be the guy that you trust to get you that bucket in the clutch in the fourth quarter and grady jarrett is that guy who's that alpha he's a he's going to be the guy that has the ball last in the game you know and we're talked earlier this week about arnold abiketti potentially growing into that player into the future uh, you know, and Caden Ellis is, is not going to necessarily be that guy, even if I would sit here and say that he has better odds than both Ebiketti and Grady Jarrett to get the 10 sacks or more is basically to use the basketball analogy. It would basically be like Caden Ellis is the guy that leads the team in, in points. Right. You know, one of those nights, let's use a Hawks analogy. One of those nights where DeJounte Mori drops, you know, 32 or something like that. Uh, but, you know, Trey Young's going to be the guy that's going to get the ball last. Right. So Trey Young's kind of the alpha DeJounte Mori might lead the team in scoring on a couple of nights. And that's going to be Caden Ellis, where he might lead the team in sacks this year, but he's not necessarily the guy that you're going to in the in the closing minute to get you that much-needed bucket. So, you know, I, I think that leads to Caden Ellis having a fairly high ceiling because he has the potential to impact in a major way in terms of the pass rush again. Double-digit sack guy in Atlanta, it's impossible, right? But, you know, it, it leads to a lot of questions I think a lot of people have about, you know, him potentially being a quote-unquote one-hit wonder, right? You know, can you trust that the Caden Ellis that we're going to get in 2023 and beyond is going to be the same as what the Saints had in the second half of that 2022 season? I think that's a fair question, but personally, I'm not particularly that worried about it. Um, and it's not necessarily because I'm super confident that Caden Ellis is going to be that guy that reaches that high ceiling, but I'm just pretty confident that Caden Ellis has a fairly high floor, right? And that comes from watching film, so humble. Um, you know, he's a solid run defender. He's a solid player, in, especially in zone coverage. Now, he's not necessarily going to be the guy that you're going to put on an island in man coverage against Alvin Kamara or Aaron Jones. You know, that's more Troy Anderson's type of skill set. But I'm not too worried about that, mostly because in those man coverage situations, I think a lot of those situations are going to be instances where Caden Ellis is rushing the quarterback in those situations. So I feel fairly good about his floor. You know, obviously there's a question like there is with Troy Anderson, you know, how high that ceiling is, whether he reaches that ceiling and a lot of that with 
Kane Ellis is going to be determined by his potential to impact as a pass rusher. But, you know, I think because if he does, you know, start to approach that ceiling and reach that ceiling, you know, we could be looking at Kane Ellis as one of the bigger steals of this most recent offseason, right? And you guys know that when it comes to the Fontenot and Smith regime, you know, I've said before that I'm going to hold my applause to the end. Uh, unlike other people, you know, the, the quote, the late, great Kobe Bryant, so full of basketball uh, comparisons on today's episode, um, you know, the job's not finished, right? And so, you know, I do think, though, Caden Ellis has greater potential to be one of those moves that we're applauding at the end, right? Because, you know, he's one of, I thought, a handful of free agents that were available this offseason that have that sort of 10 sack potential, but you're probably getting him for considerably less than what you were able to sign some of those other guys. Marcus Davenport signed for 13 million. We got Caden Ellis for about 7 million. You know, we'll see what J.D. Avion Clowney and Yannick Ngakwe get, you know, as they get new deals, uh, you know, between now and the start of the season, but more than likely you're probably going to have to spend considerably more than 7 million a year to get one of those two free agents. So again, I think because of that, that makes Kane Ellis one of the bigger bargains potentially again, if he reaches that high ceiling and, and is a very productive pass rusher um, that, you know, is approaching eight, 10 sacks or whatever, even if that's, you know, seven or eight sacks, that's still way more than what we're used to here in Atlanta. So we will definitely take a seven or eight sack season from Kay Nellis in, in that regard. So we'll see whether or not he reaches that ceiling. But even though, you know, I have less concerns about the Falcons starters, I do have concerns about the Falcons depth. And we'll talk about, you know, Michael Walker, how he factors into that and the sort of competition for, you know, the, the back end, of this linebacker room as we wrap up today's Locked on Falcons. So wrapping up today's Locked on Falcons, guys, I do want to give a sh another shout out to my everydayers out there. And if you make this illustrious podcast your first listen tomorrow, we'll be breaking down the cornerback position and we'll be talking for once when we're doing these positional breakdowns. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about actual camp competitions but we'll get to probably the one of the biggest ones besides the left guard competition at that nickel cornerback on tomorrow's episode as well as talk about other topics related to the falcons corners but wrapping up today's episode we'll talk a little bit about the falcons linebacker depth starting with michael walker who is a weirdly kind of polarizing player it's kind of bizarre to me why people have like very strong michael walker opinions good bad and all things in between you know, my sort of Michael Walker take is that he's kind of an ideal backup because of his versatility. He spent the last two years playing will linebacker for the Falcons, but he also called the defense for the first half of last year. So theoretically, that could also make him a very effective, uh, you know, replacement level player at the Mike linebacker. And then you go back to his rookie season in 2020, where he spent most of his time playing the Sam linebacker or that strong side linebacker position. You couple that versatility with his value on special teams, especially now with Troy Anderson likely being promoted off of special teams to being a starter on the defense. You're losing a really good special teams player like Troy Anderson was last year. And you want to replace him with a really good special teams player. And Michael Walker was one of the Falcons better special teams players in his first two years in the NFL that he primarily was on special teams. The only real knock I have with Michael Walker is his tackling technique. He tends to play on his heels and that leads to him missing a bunch of tackles as we've seen the last couple of years. But other than that, to me, there's not a whole lot to say about Michael Walker. And I don't mean that uh, disrespectfully and nor am I, what I'm about to say meant to toot my own horn. But, you know, when we drafted Michael Walker, you know, basically what I said on that episode, breaking down his, his film 
was that if he's starting for you know the Falcons in year three or year four, year three was of course last year, it's not likely due to Michael Walker being this great linebacker, it's mostly likely going to be due to the Falcons not really having better options uh, at that position. And that to me was exactly the case last year where the Falcons basically plugged Michael Walker in as a stopgap starter because they didn't really have the money or were willing to spend the money to find a better option. And so therefore, like I don't necessarily get why people get so animated about some of these stopgap guys, including Michael Walker, Mike, Marcus Mariota, to be as fired up because they basically serve their purpose of getting the Falcons through the sort of cap purgatory. And so therefore, you know, getting fired up about them like, oh, this guy's disappointing or, or whatever is to me whatever. Like they did their job like, you know, they were mercenaries for a year. They did what they were supposed to do. And now we're moving on. So you look at Michael Walker, like I, I look at his three years, I wouldn't say they've gone exactly how you would have drawn it up, but you know, he hasn't strayed that far from expectation, at least my expectations with what his body of work has been over these last three years. He's given you some value as a starter, but he's primarily a backup. And that's kind of what you projected him to be. Now, to me, the bigger concern at the linebacker position is not, you know, are we going to get more out of Michael Walker this year or what Michael Walker going to do this year? It's going to be, who's going to be the other linebacker, you know, on the team, you know, next to him, you know, who's going to be that fourth linebacker, right? Because, especially now when you consider Michael Walker is going to be a free agent after this upcoming season. And I would sit here today, you know, we'll see how it plays out over the next six months, but I would not say the odds are in his favor that the Falcons are likely going to prioritize resigning him next off season at the current rate. Again, we'll see uh, what changes and develops over the next six months, but that opens up a sort of a pipeline or an opportunity for whoever is the fourth linebacker, you know, behind Michael Walker, this upcoming season in 2023 to basically be promoted, you know, to the third linebacker to replace Michael Walker in 2024. And to me, the question is, who will that player be? Right. You look at the fourth linebacker last year, that was Nick Kwiatkowski, who signed last month with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But that is purely a special teams role. Right. And the Falcons brought in two special teams linebackers and Tay Davis and Andre Smith that have functioned as basically that fourth linebacker with other teams. Davis most recently with the Browns, Smith last year with the Titans, but previously with the Bills and, and Panthers. And those guys are probably the more proven options. But you also have guys like Nate Landman and Dorian Etheridge who have kind of flirted with that role the last couple of seasons, both undrafted free agents, Etheridge in 2021, Landman in 2022, that were able to contribute primarily on special teams off the bench in both of those seasons. And if you look at my latest roster projection, you know, from, you know, mid to late June, you know, I did project both Tay Davis and Nate Landman to make the roster as the fourth and fifth linebackers in this group. But for the most part, it is a toss up. It is an open competition and you can basically throw four names into a hat and pick one of them out. Or you could actually throw all five names into that because there is a fifth linebacker in undrafted free agent Mike Jones Jr. That is also in the mix. And maybe he continues the sort of trend of a new undrafted free agent linebacker making the team, making the cut and contributing this year like Etheridge and Landman have done the last two years. Who knows? Based off of what little I've seen of Mike Jones Jr., nothing really stood out to make me feel firmly about that. But comparatively to other undrafted free agents, his path to making the 53-man roster is a much easier path than most guys. Like, even if I was to say, like, let's put a number on it. Let's say Mike Jones Jr.'s chances of making the 53-man roster is like 10%, right? For most undrafted free agents here in Atlanta and elsewhere throughout the league, you know, those guys' chances of making the roster is like 5%. So he's basically 
got doubled the chance, not because he's an especially great linebacker from what I can tell, but simply because the Falcons are so thin at that position. So for me, that fourth linebacker position is going to be something that I'm paying a lot of attention to this summer in camp, in preseason. You know, again, that's primarily a special teams contributor. Uh, but obviously, if that player can also give you some plus value on defense, right, in the event of multiple injuries at the linebacker position where you're forced to play that guy, you know, that's going to be valuable, right? So, again, it's a toss-up, and, you know, I think because of the unknown nature of who's going to be that fourth linebacker, that has led to speculation from many that the Falcons should or could sign another more proven option at that linebacker position, which makes sense. I wouldn't be against that. I don't think that player should be Rashawn Evans, mostly because Rashawn Evans has almost no experience playing special teams. And I again want to remind you that primarily that fourth linebacker's job is to be a special teams contributor, right? And hopefully, as it was the case with Nick Kwiatkowski and Dorian Etheridge and, and, and previous guys, Darren Bates being another example, who played like three snaps on defense the previous year as that fourth linebacker. Like that guy's not going to play any defense this year. Hopefully, we'll see. Again, you can't control that, but you know, I don't think you're signing Rashawn Evans to just basically twiddle his thumbs in the event of multiple injuries at the linebacker and giving you nothing on special teams because, you know, that's not really what Rashawn Evans does, right? You know? So, again, I think the Falcons could certainly explore bringing in other guys, but I think for now they can be patient and hope that, you know, a Nate Landman, a Dorian Etheridge, a Tay Davis, Andre Smith, or even a Mike Jones Jr. can, through the power of competitions, earn that spot and earn that trust in training camp. And if they need to address that linebacker position at the end of the summer, they can afford to be patient and wait and see who's available off the waiver wire because there certainly will be um, cut excuse me, made at the end of August that the Falcons may be able to scoop up a couple of guys. So we'll see about that. So there's, to me, there's no rush for the Falcons to worry about their linebacker position. We'll see how it all plays out. But I, again, I, I think that to me, that fourth linebacker position is much more compelling conversation than, you know, what Michael Walker is going to be. Uh, so no offense to anybody out there who has strong Michael Walker takes. I just sit here and I go like, you know, who cares? <laughs> I don't know. No, no disrespect to Michael Walker. I just say like, uh, okay. Like, you know, I just, I'm much more invested in that fourth linebacker than I am in what type of season Michael Walker has. That's just me personally, but to each their own is what I will say. Uh, so that is going to do it for us here today on uh, the linebacker conversation. Of course, tomorrow we'll be talking about the corner back position. Again, final thoughts on the linebackers, a lot of potential here, right? Some questionable depth, right? So there's a lot of legit questions about the linebackers, but as I said at the top of the show, like that, that ain't new to me, <laughs> you know, at least based off of watching film for the last you know decade, like it just seems like, yeah, this is par for the course. The Falcons have, you know, major concerns. I, I guess there's just the difference between this year and previous years is they have no sort of truly proven option. Right. But I think by years in, you know, we'll we'll see, you know, whether it's Caden Ellis or Troy Anderson, who's the sort of proven guy. But uh, that's going to do it for us here on linebackers. Tomorrow's corners. Talk to A.J. Terrell, Jeff Akuda as the starters. And of course, who's going to be that nickel quarterback and the competition at the back end. Again, we actually get to talk about a camp competition on one of these position breakdowns. We've just been mostly talking about, like, is this player going to play well? Because the Falcons haven't had aren't going into this summer with that many open competitions as they normally have had in previous years and past regimes have had, you know, it's a pretty solidified roster. It's just a question of, you know, how good is this player going to be? Not necessarily is this guy going to make the team for the most part, but uh, we will actually talk about guys that 
are trying to make the team on tomorrow's episode. So continue to make Lockdown Falcons your first listen. For your second listen, of course, you can check out the uh, Locked On NFL podcast and, of course, the various Locked On Sports Atlanta shows, whether that's Locked On Braves, Locked On Bulldogs, Locked On Hawks, ATL Day 1s, and Hitting Hard. It's all part of Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.